Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. Hello, and welcome to Season 3, Episode Number 9 of The Lift also this year's Christmas episode. As you may already know, we released a written anthology of all new stories about two to three times longer than our typical podcast episode, and written by some of your favorite authors from the show. Of course, Victoria is in all of them. We've also included special illustrations for each story by Jeanette Andromeda, who also did the beautiful cover. Show your love for the show by getting one for yourself, or introduce a friend to Victoria by getting a copy for them, too. Of course, your purchase for the print or Kindle version helps support the show. We're very much hoping to bring you a greater number of episodes next season, and the successful sale of our anthology will help make that happen. See our book trailer and find links to make your own purchase at victoriaslift.com. Today we have a story written by Cynthia Lohman, who also happens to be the co-creator of The Lift, our story editor, and my dear friend. If you enjoy this story, you can find out more about Alice and the notes written by Cindy in Alice's voice in our anthology. And you can also find out more about Cindy at her blog at CynthiaLoman.com and on Twitter and Facebook. Today's episode was scored by our good friend Nico Viteze of We Talk of Dreams. On behalf of Victoria, Cindy, me, and all the others that bring you the lift, Merry Christmas. Today's episode of The Lift is told by Erica Sanderson, Amber Collins, Louis Pollard, and yours truly. I have lost so much. My name is Victoria. I am bound to this place, charged with guiding those who must choose. Don't be afraid. I can never again be the little girl I was. I have my music box and a library lost, but I sometimes feel very alone. Won't you join me? It's time for your ride on the lift. <laughs> Don't be afraid. A long dining table full of a dozen mannerless strangers is my reward for good behaviour. If not for my yearning to be out of the box they call my room, I should have wanted to misbehave to escape from such coarse company. Judging by the man two chairs to my left who curses throughout conversation, and the woman who rubs food in her hair, I couldn't be certain I am capable of misbehaving enough to be sent away. Thus far, Only a woman who bared her breasts and dipped one into the gravy boat was restrained, covered, and taken from the room. I haven't the fortitude for such an action. It would also set me back, for I was told I had shown marked improvement. I can't be insane so close to possible release. So I sit at this mockery of a Christmas dinner. I scrape a lump of pasty potatoes onto the floor joining that flung about by the less-mannered attendants. When the gaze of an orderly turns my way, 
I put the empty spoon, we aren't allowed forks or knives, to my lips. The overwhelming pungency of something gone off makes my reassuring smile that much more of an effort. Bit by bit, my plate clears, a fraction of which is in my stomach, merely for sustenance. I suffer the tumult around me as any sane person would, as I remember being. When no more food is left to be eaten or hurled, we are told to line up, which took much time and direction. The evening had not been at all rewarding until two wide doors are unlocked and slid into their wall pockets to reveal a huge spruce covered in electric fairy lights dominating the common room. Tears blur the lights into fluffy globes until I blink them down my cheeks. Doing all right there, Miss Alice? The kindest of orderlies asks. I wipe my cheeks. Oh yes, it's just so beautiful. He pats my shoulder. Find a seat then, there's more to come. I nod and hurry to a solitary chair by the window. No matter that it is barred inside and out, I haven't seen one not covered by drapery since I woke up in this place. More lights speckle the darkness in the distance, and the bright snow glitters with its own light from a round moon. When all patients are settled in their own seats, Dr. Pierce enters with a woman dressed in a glorious green velvet gown. She glides across the floor, tethered to Dr. Pierce's hand as he guides her to the piano bench where she floats down to perch. Happy Christmas, residents, Dr. Pierce begins. This evening, I have a special gift for you. One of the more fidgety women in the group claps faster than I knew was possible, and others gasp, giggle, and mutter, until an explosive blood-beard splitter bursts from the cursing man. The delicate woman next to him swoons. I keep perfect posture, hands in lap, and gaze on our speaker as proper etiquette dictated. One does not respond to such crassness. I feel more myself at that moment than in at least a decade. <laughs> we are all eager, Mr. Burroughs. Dr. Pierce says with a chuckle. Let's all be quiet so you might enjoy the playing of the generous Mrs. Garland, who has given up her evening to entertain us. The hush that descends would have made me believe I was alone had I not seen the room full of other patients with my own eyes. After an acknowledging nod, Mrs. Garland strikes the keys and goes into a grand and complicated piece. Not the common Christmas hymn of my expectation, but something exquisite. So shocked am I, my jaw drops, and I am only become aware of this lack of civility when my tongue turns to cotton. I snap my mouth closed, and then do the same with my eyes to better absorb the music. I adore the piano, though I never had the skill for it myself. A trait I unfortunately passed along to my daughter. My dear, sweet daughter, Victoria. A veritable copy of myself, which is likely why she took to her father, William, so. How I miss her. And my precious merit. The son I was too weak to bear without consequence. After their loss, my husband left too. All gone. Presumed dead. Before I could find my way back from madness. How I managed this sanity after losing them, I know not. 
No matter my status or fortune, loss follows me. But I hope I've paid enough. As Mrs. Garland plays, I allow myself to imagine what could have been had tragedy not struck. I envision another large fur decorated with electric fairy lights in our own sitting room, in the luxurious new building where we had taken residence. I close my eyes, the better to dream an impossible life. Something brushes my skirt, but I will not let anything intrude on this moment. Mother! My imagined daughter says. Small hands cover my own, folded in my lap. Mother, you're missing it. Her delicate, warm hands are so real, I won't open my eyes. Never before has insanity brought me so delightful a feeling. I cherish it, just as I cherish the piano playing. And I will not betray this slip in progress to the staff, else I have no hope of leaving. Mother! Victoria insists. Open your eyes. I arranged it special for you. I nearly respond. A sure way to keep me committed. But I imagine instead, dear Victoria, I am listening with every ounce of my being. Come on, mother. This took a great deal of effort. Are you going to keep your eyes shut the entire time? Her small fingers touch my chin and her weight presses on my knees as she leans forward. A strong force of will is all that keeps me from revealing my dismay over this realistic hallucination. But it is not even a hallucination, for I have not opened my eyes. Am I falling ill again? You're fine. Please, just see my gift. What harm will it do? But part of me wants to remain in this fantasy where my daughter is alive beside me, while the other part fears I am once again in the grip of madness and will never be free. You can ponder that later. There isn't time for it now. She pats my cheek harder than a child should her mother. You're wasting our time together. When I give in and open my eyes, my gaze is still on the piano across the room. But no one plays it, and the instrument is much finer. The Christmas tree is decorated, but not only with fairy lights. It holds glass ornaments in place of the paper crafts by patients and staff. While the piano is in the same place, the room is furnished as a sitting room. One I know. And to my left, with a proud smile, is my sweet daughter, Victoria. The vision of her golden curls blur in my open eyes as I reach out to touch her precious face. I weep at her peachy skin, her springy soft hair, the solidity of her here before me. She is here! But how? Surely I've gone off again. Not at all, mother. My darling girl says, and I cup her face in my hands. Her smile widens and wetness gathers at the rim of her eyes, causing mine to do the same yet again. Oh, you are here, aren't you? I say, and kiss her forehead, then pull her into my arms and sob until the top of her head is good and soaked. I mop up what I can with my kerchief, then wipe my face. How is this happening? How are you here? I look around the room. Or rather... 
how am I here? I wrap one of her curls around my finger. I don't remember it being so silky. I'm forgetting her already. And it had only been... Are you... I can barely speak the word. Dead? An apparition? <laughs> she actually laughs. A spark touches my heart, nearly igniting it. She wags a finger at me. Me! Don't get cross, Mother. Is that how you want to spend your Christmas? Of course not. But how can you laugh? I'm your mother. The corners of her mouth drop. It has been a long time for me, Mother. She says in a sombre tone that makes my heart wilt. I'm not dead. A gasp escapes me, and my hand flies to my chest. But then she continues. But I am not alive. Small, unseemly grunts are the only sound I can make as I attempted to process the impossible. The contradiction. A glance from Victoria's face to the now quiet piano, then the Christmas tree with its fairy lights that do not glow as brightly as they had a moment ago. The wallpaper fades, and a corner peels from the wall, then all returns to its beauty. A clock's ticking grows quiet, then stops. When I gaze at Victoria again, I can see the door through her face the pattern of old carpet through her legs. Chill creeps into my hand from hers, and I force myself not to pull away. My breath shudders as the green of my daughter's eyes intensifies until the glow touches her eyelashes and cheeks. My heartbeat is the fluttering rhythm of a rabbit, but I cannot flee. Fear and anger bring my voice back as I withdraw my hand from hers. What have you done to my daughter, demon? The light in the apparition's eyes fades back to my Victoria's. But it is not her. I know this now, even as she strokes the back of my hand with her now warm fingers. No! I let out in a gasp and pull away. It's okay, Mother. It is me. And more. What I have become is how we are together now. I want to believe her. But fear is strong. I want to slip back into the cocoon in my mind where I no longer must think, where all progress winks out. Why do you do this when I was getting better? I'm sorry. This isn't at all what I wanted for you. I wasn't able to connect until you weren't lost anymore. Lost, I parrot the word, as it rang so true. You were a different kind of lost. A different kind of broken. How could you know such things? Because... She pauses, as if considering my fitness, while scanning my eyes with a gaze that tickles my brain. Then she looks at her hands, where she holds her music box. It hadn't been there, but now it is. And before I can ask what devilry put it there, she says in a soft voice, When I was broken, I learnt things. What happened to you? Where did you go? Can't we just be together, Mother? It took so much to bring you here. What about Merritt? Why isn't he here? He was with you when... 
They told me. Her eyes flare as she leans back from me. I just want to know what took you and your brother away from me. I reach to stroke her cheek, but she steps just out of reach. And your father. He went to look for you and never returned. I wring my hands. I got worse then. I was lost. I fight the snippets of painful memory. Dreadful paintings in the halls of my mind. You mustn't go back there, she says, and her hand is on mine as if to anchor me. Or you will lose all you have gained. The tender moment breaks with the rapid thuds of a running child. First distant, then louder, from the hall, behind the closed door. My heart dances in my breast. Merit! I rush to the door to greet him until a voice, Victoria's but something more, commands, Stop! I spin towards her. But... You mustn't. Please listen, Mother. I give a nod. You will be allowed a choice, as any other who comes to this place. You speak as if you were in charge. Who was responsible for this? Outrage flames deep in my belly. As for responsibility, I cannot answer now. But I can say I am in charge. In a manner. Who would put that on a child? I have a duty to protect. The balance, I guess. Words seem to have escaped her for a moment, and she mutters... It is too much. There is no time to explain all of that now. I must make you understand your situation. Mother, do you remember... She blinks at the floor. Remember what, sweet child? She digs the toe of her Mary Jane shoe into the carpet. Please don't get cross. I wonder whatever could she say to anger me when I was here. With her, whom I never thought to see again. Then the doorknob rattles. Mother, please... Listen first. She sets her small hand on the back of mine. I turn my head, my neck feeling rusted and hard to move. I will listen, and I will not be cross. She is a child, I reason, and I can control my emotions as a sane adult. She gives a sharp nod before speaking, as if she hears my very thoughts. But that is not so sane, is it? Remember how things were with just you and father? And then me? Your wits never left you then? My lips press together before I know I am doing it. I know where this is going. How she will speak the words I never dared. Be brave, mother. She reassures me with a squeeze of her hand. You know the madness seeped in when you were carrying your son. I shake my head. Though it is true. You were... affected. The dark took you. I know that now. The doorknob rattles hard this time, and the lights in the room dim as if shadowed. Mother? Merritt says through the door. I know you're there. Open the door. A moaning whine sounds within me, and Victoria holds my chin in a grip so strong I cannot turn away from her lamplight green eyes. If you go to him... You will once again return to the madness. My breath shudders. He's my son, Victoria. And I am your daughter, your first. He took you from me. You weren't enough, Victoria. The room darkens until all I can see are my daughter's burning acid eyes. How can I return to madness when it is evidenced before me? The fantasy has turned nightmare. You cannot be my daughter. 
Only a demon would keep me from my son. Familiar with the setting that used to be my home, I reach for the door through the darkness. No, mother, I am not the demon! But I will not hear it from the foul creature taunting me with my child's countenance. The cool, smooth crystal of the doorknob meets my hand, and I feel for the key that locks my son away, but only an empty keyhole meets my touch. Of course, this devil will not make it so easy. I wrench the crystal in frustration, and the latch clicks. Shock cements me into place. Oh, yes, Mummy! Merritt says, and muffled clapping erupts. Don't! This is your choice. You will not get another. How can you make me choose between my children? Heartache constricts my chest and my words. I miss my mummy. I whimper and lean my forehead against the door, as if the wisdom of the wood can be imparted through the contact. But this is no fairy story like those shared with me and by me. This is insanity. I am as mad as ever, trapped in a nightmare of my own mind. Victoria leans against my skirt. That's the dark influencing you. Mother, just as it has since Merrick came to be, it wants to take you away from me forever. But if I stay, it takes Merrick from me forever, does it not? A mother should never have to make such a choice, just as you should not be doomed to this existence. This is wrong. Right and wrong are not always clear, and proper choices are often difficult, she says. Offering no help. Merritt sobs, huffing out. Come, me, me. Then proceeds into a crying fit that slices my heart. <laughs> what does it matter? Lunacy clearly grips me the way the darkness in the room did. It does matter, Victoria says, intruding into my mind again. It matters to me. I want you to be whole again. For you. Merritt wails. The way is open. It always has been. The choice is yours. I let go of the doorknob, and it springs back to centre with a thrum. I turn to pull Victoria into an embrace. This certainly is a production of my unbalanced mind, but I will play along. Then the doorknob touches my back. The door has not latched. Merritt sniffles and shudders are clear now. Mama, he says, as if he is a baby again. I step aside and the door sways open, letting light from the hallway spill into the room. And there is my angel within the glow. I reach to him and bend to receive him, but he only mirrors my gesture. A moment passes in standoff until I can no longer bear it. I straighten and step toward him, but I'm halted as my skirt tightens around my legs. I look back to find Victoria gripping the grey fabric. I'm sorry, Victoria, but he's right there. My dress loosens, and I am free to be with my baby boy again. I sweep him up in my arms and swirl around with a laugh, 
catching a glimpse of Victoria's tear-streaked face before the door slams shut. After smothering Merritt with kisses, I set him on his feet, take his hand, and try the door. The knob will not turn, even as the faceted edges dig into my skin. The crystal cracks and a shard slices my palm. I yelp with the pain but am not deterred, rapping my knuckles on the door. Victoria? Open the door, please. We can all be together now. No answer comes from her, but Merritt pipes up. I'm afraid she was correct, Mother. I squeeze his hand too hard, but he is unfazed. What do you mean? His hand slips from mine, and I spin to him. He holds his palms up to each side, like a merchant's scale. We're too far apart, she and I. He raises and lowers each hand as though balancing invisible weights. Off kilter, you might say. He laughs and points at me. <laughs> like you. <laughs> Before I can stop myself, I swat his pointing hand. You rotten devil! His bottom lip protrudes for a moment before his tongue parts his lips and extends. Then he laughs again. <laughs> I turn back to the door and take my hostility out on its solid wood, beating it with a fist. Victoria! I nearly scream. Victoria! Merritt's laugh grows louder. <laughs> you made your choice, Mother. <laughs> A black vignette frames my vision and grows. I keep pounding at the door, calling my daughter's Victoria! name until all fades from view as the dark envelops me, tightening around me. You can't have me! No! No, I want to go back! I beat the door with both hands, stamping it with the blood from my cut hand. This time, it's Merritt's voice that takes on another tone, but not the way Victoria's had carries the blackness itself within it. Of course he will go back. But not to Victoria. That is what you chose. I wrestle against the force binding me, crying and screaming, willing my protestation to take back my decision. Then Merritt pinches me. Me. His own mother. And that pinch brings a darkness that takes my consciousness. Ah, uh, Dr. Pierce says. Miss Alice is settled now. He hands a syringe to a nurse. The kind orderly tightens his bear hug on Alice as she slumps and her head lolls forward. <sighs> See, she is restrained in her room until I can check in on her. Such a shame. Good thing we hadn't released her after all, yes? Both the orderly and the nurse nod, wearing the same downward turn of mouth. The orderly adjusts his hold on Alice and carries her down the hall, followed by the nurse.
Robin. Funny meeting you here. I do very much appreciate your help in keeping my lift running. But, well, it looks like it's your turn for a ride on my lift. Don't worry, it won't be scary. Well, not that scary anyway. <laughs> okay, it's going to be pretty scary. Hold on tight, let's go for a ride. 